time for the August 26, 2022 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review. A personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting on National Dog Day from the University of California at Irvine in the backyard of KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And as always, a global Goliath with more than 40 offices worldwide, Mahler, the fake news dog. (laughs) Morning, Mahler. Same to you. Today, we'll be talking about variegated snailfish antifreeze. Okay. Yeah. Endangered trees, the Marble Freedom Trust, meth-addicted dogs. That's right, Mahler. Meth. Yeah, <laughs> oh, poor <laughs> He had an episode yeah. with Matt. He did. Yeah. It was a, there was some dark days there, but he's on the other side of it now. And there's also some other stuff we're going to talk okay. about. Yeah, but okay. First, yeah. do your eyes ever well up with tears when Mahler greets you with a little tail wag and licks and hugs? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, it brings a tear to my eye. Yeah, because yeah, you're thinking you... there's a dog yeah. that loves me more than my parents do. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, <laughs> Way more. Yeah. 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 That no, he he's uh, he can be endearing, and he, he is. when that tail starts to wagon and that tongue comes out and he's yeah. he's looking up at you. He's like, yeah. Well, I like it when he puts his paws on your shoulders. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's almost like he's hugging you yeah. and he licks your forehead. Licks your forehead. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's, a, good dog, he's a good father. boy. Yeah. Really is. <laughs> From Journal, the Journal of Current Biology. Uh-huh. Yeah. That feeling you have for Mahler, mm-hmm. it may be mutual. Oh. Yeah. Mahler may weep tears of joy for you. Hmm. According to a recent story or study, dogs produce more tears when reunited with their owners than with other humans. And I scratched that owners thing. Yeah. With their friends. Their with, friends. With the people yeah. that they know. The than with just other folk. Yeah. If that's true, it would be the first evidence that emotions cause tears, not just in dogs, but in any non-humans. Yeah. In other words, they never found this to be true with any animal at all, except for humans. Yeah. And now we find out that dogs might cry tears of joy. Yeah. That's great. When dogs exhibit watery, shiny eyes, it facilitates human caregiving. So there's kind of a back and forth yeah. here too. They're, they're letting you they're know. They're watering their eyes, yeah. but maybe they want something from you. Yeah, cookie. Cookie, yeah. yeah. So they want a thinking, cookie. Yeah. I'll I'll fool this guy. Yeah, exactly. I'll pretend like I like him. He's the source of cookies. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tears in the eyes. That'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah. And when it starts working, you bastard. <laughs> exactly. Mahler. <laughs> yeah, he's running off. <laughs> we are on to him. I know. Yeah. He. He's looking for a cookie he buried a couple of weeks ago. Scientists who weren't part of the study aren't sure dogs like us that much. Oh, really? Yeah. They say uh, this Clive Wynn, a canine behavior specialist at Arizona State University, said, if we accept the evidence of this paper, this is one of the most stunning discoveries of animal expressions of emotions of all time. And I just don't buy it. So what you're... What I... I misunderstood a little bit. So what you're saying is the tears are manipulative and not necessarily emotive. We don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Okay. All we know is they put some oxycotton in uh, in dogs. Yeah. And and they were 
testing to see if that Tear. was how they uh, told when the tears came out, yeah. is because the, the drug would be in it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, they, and then somebody else said, that might be why they're tearing up. They want more oxygen. Because oxy. of the drug, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, they're not, they're not getting high off of it. It's okay, I was like going to say that might be oh, another. <laughs> no, I mean, I, another word, qualitatively, that would be a different reaction. Yeah. An addiction to a drug really negates any kind of emotive, I would assume, any emotive quality to it. We'll be talking about dogs on drugs later in the show. Oh, well, uh -huh. there you go. Oh, it's good. It's yeah. a, that's a tease. Yeah, it is a tease. Well, Dogs on drugs in the second half of this thrilling show. Yeah. What do you think about um, the show so far? Do you like the way it's so going? So far, I'm, yeah. I'm liking the way where it's going. Yeah. yeah. We're not talking about that, what's that, ex-president of the United States? No, I know. Today, by the way, as we speak, uh -huh. the release of the, I'm going to speak about it just a second. Well, the the no affidavit is yeah. about to be re released. There's all these been. little fine points as we go along, and then, you know, next month we'll forget about this. Yeah, well, I think this is not one to forget. The but there are so many things you're right that we that come and go that well, we just yeah. Yeah, just this is. It, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I, about that. I, I, I mean, this will, this will have information that we could have gotten somewhere else in it. Is what I'm saying. Okay. This is just, and then we'll hear about it in some other source. The information in the affidavit, why it was that they were yeah. at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, yeah. Looking for the cl classified. Yeah, there's some, there's some DJ here at or, or host at HCI that thinks the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago. Raided. Yeah, raided. Yeah, yeah. Like like the lawyers were standing around. Yeah, exactly. And that's not exactly a raid when when your lawyers are there and they, and, and yeah. they're handing you a search warrant. Yeah, that's not called a raid. It's not a raid. It's no. a search. Yeah. And by the way, just very quickly, for. Close to 18 months, they had been politely asking the former president, disgraced former president of the United States, for those documents. Yeah. Multiple times. Yeah. That's not a raid. And apparently, and it's not yeah. his property. Right. It's like, you know, when, when a guy repossesses your car, yeah. I wouldn't exactly call that a raid. <laughs> yeah. From Nature magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Rabbits have invaded most of Australia and have had a disastrous impact on ecosystems, threatening some 300 species of plant and animal and causing hundreds of millions of dollars worth of damage to the agricultural industry each year. Where was this? I'm so sorry. 300 species of plants and animals are threatened by these rabbits in Australia. Oh, Australia. Okay. I wonder if Scott Morrison put them there. Probably. Yeah. He probably secretly put them there. Yeah. Yeah. He signed up for... He signed uh, up the Ministry of, of Information of and, and, and Interior and said, let's put some rabid rabbits in there. Well, that's not the way it went down. Oh. But I like it. I like the theory there. Okay. Historical records suggest that the first European rabbits, uh, uh, which are called the Oryctologus caniculus. Oh, that's easy for you to say. Yeah. In Australia, yeah. arrived in Sydney. In other words, they're European rabbits. Uh -huh. rabbits. They yeah. arrived in Sydney in 1788. Huh. That was when the first colonizers arrived. Yeah. Ships bringing rabbits continued to dock along the coast for decades. Uh, but it wasn't until the second half of the 19th century that the population expanded, the rabbit population expanded yeah, yeah. significantly, spreading across the country at a rate of 100 kilometers a year. Wow. That's rocking out there. That is rocking out. 100 miles, just about more than 100 miles 
every every year. year. They just kept the population just kept moving and moving and moving. Overall, researchers say the rabbit's wild ancestry, in other words, they yeah. came from the wild, they're not domesticated rabbits, right. was an important factor in triggering their invasion of the continent. Yeah. They're different than domesticated rabbits. They flee stressful environments and dig burrows, meaning that they were probably better at evading predators and surviving in difficult terrain than uh, the domestic uh, rabbits were. Uh-huh. Well, I tell you one thing, Mike. Uh-huh. I dig burrows. Oh, yeah. Like the naked lunch. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Soft machine. Yeah. There you go. You like them? I do. Yeah. yeah. You dig burrows? I dig burrows. Yeah. Are you kidding? Who doesn't? Are you kidding? Yeah, he's kind of a grump, though. Oh, I like that about him. Yeah. I like the fact that and he, he was shot a, his wife. He did shoot his wife. That yeah. I did not. Well, wow. What, what's the guy do? I, I don't. I'm he not. He was doing the William <laughs> Tell thing, you oh. know? It was a mistake. Yeah, yeah, I think he would agree with that. Um, ah, by I the way, there's a. To shoot him. <laughs> that sounds like that does sound like him. By the way, do you know how many rabbits there are in Australia? How many? Approximately. Two hundred million. Two hundred. So no wonder they're upset. Yeah, they're invading the place. There's a way more rabbits than our people. Yeah. Yeah, way more. They're wow. Upsetting the ecosystem. Wow. And they're European rabbits. Mm -hmm. That's got to really bug the Australians. Oh, yeah. By the way, yeah, I got... Yeah, okay. There you go. Yeah, okay, there you go. Great filler, Mike. Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's, why I've been, that's why they call me King of Morning Radio. If this news makes you want to invade Australia, may I recommend a donation to KUCI instead? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Freeform, free speech, radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. <laughs> From Cosmos magazine. That's kind of a science magazine. You look like you want to say something here. Mike. No, when you said Cosmos, uh, I thought of that, that old... Cosmo Topper? No, the women's magazine. Oh, Cosmo. Cosmo. Then they, they, it was Burt Cos Reynolds in the nude. They I, had to play it. They had the Cosmo foldouts, right? Isn't that that? I don't Cosmo. Think, I don't know. Oh, it was Ms. Magazine that had the fold. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, Cosmo was something different. Yeah, I got it now. Yeah, that was the, the uh, that guy. Leo G. Carroll. Leo G. Carroll. Uh, yeah. Species of tiny fish, the variegated snailfish. Uh -huh. lives in the icy cold waters off Greenland. Mm -hmm. And you say to yourself, how could a fish live in icy cold waters? Incredibly, they're able to avoid freezing solid and survive in these sub-zero temperatures by producing antifreeze proteins inside their bodies. Wow. Scientists have known about these kinds of antifreeze proteins since the 1970s, but according to a new study, the snailfish is the number one guy when it comes to producing antifreeze proteins. Pretty amazing, yeah. Nathan. And that's not all that yeah. makes the variegated snailfish extraordinary. Okay. We got more going on. All right. Researchers decided to investigate, investigate antifreeze proteins only after studying another of the snailfish's exceptional abilities, biofluorescence. So they glow in the dark? Yeah, wow. red and green. Nice. Yeah. 
The antifreeze findings highlights just how important antifreeze proteins are to the snailfish survival, but it also raises a red flag as to how they'll fare in a warming world. Yeah. Since the mid-20th century, temperatures have increased twice as fast in the Arctic as in mid-latitudes. And some studies predict that if Arctic sea ice decline continues at the current rate in the summer, the Arctic Ocean will be mostly ice-free within the next three decades. Arctic seas don't support a high diversity of fish species. Mm -hmm. And with increasing warming of oceanic temperatures, ice-dwelling animals like the variegated snailfish will encounter, well, they'll have to battle off increased competition by more temperate species who are coming up north, yeah. taking advantage of the new terrain. Right, and they'll see these fish glowing in the dark. Yeah, no kidding. And they're going to go for that. They're going to take a little bite out of that, wouldn't they? Well, I'd want one just to, you know, put next to my lava lamp. <laughs> By the way, the ice on land is <clears throat> is disappearing four times the expected rate right yeah. now. Four times faster. So all these predictions about what's going to happen with global warming? Yeah. That's, just move that up a little bit. Well, yes and no. There were a lot of predictive models that were saying that once some of these systems begin to kind of connect with one another, uh -huh. they will accelerate the decline in those particular ecosystems or whatever it might be that are being impacted by climate change. So yes and no, yes, it is faster than they expected, but nonetheless, not completely unexpected for a lot of people. A lot of scientists and stuff. Well, they were telling us one thing. I'm expecting it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But again, there is always the unpredictability of models like this. But they di there were plenty of people that said it's possible that this will accelerate the decline. That's yeah. all I'm saying. I'm not saying they, they nailed it every time. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. Yeah, I that's think science. That's science. You get a new theory. So when they get yeah, so when they get to a new data point, they say, "Oh, let's readjust our our findings to reflect the science of it." Yeah, and right now, it looks more bad than good. It looks more ter catastrophic yeah. than good. So I'm right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. From High Country News. Mm -hmm. That's all I want to be is right. High Country. <laughs> this is not about John Denver. Oh. Or about or, or, what's that little town in Colorado they're going to name pot. Or no, it was, it was cannabis or herb. Was that right? Yeah, we talked about that a while oh, I ago. I forgot. In, 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 did I say in Colorado? Yeah. Yeah. It was going to be uh, cannabis, Colorado. I don't know what it was. Okay. High Country News. By returning sea otters to Oregon, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service could revive kelp forests, boost fish species, protect shorelines, generate tourist dollars, and even capture carbon. Just by putting otters back in the coastline again. Without otters, those ecosystems have been slowly degrading, and in 2013 they hit a catastrophic tipping point. A mysterious disease, possibly triggered by warming ocean temperatures, caused a continent-spanning die-off of sea stars, which had filled otter's role as a top predator of sea urchins. Okay. 
unchecked, urchins proliferated, causing the widespread collapse of kelp forests. Okay. And we need those guys. Yes, we do. Very important. In, North Cal in Northern California, they've shrunk by more than 90%, replaced by urchin-filled barrens. Urchin? I don't know what a barren is. It's just a barren landscape okay. because the urchins are gobbling up. The sea, all, the all sea the, uh, seagrass or something. Yeah, but but now that it's gone, okay. where are the urchins going to go? Yeah, there is going to probably be a massive die off of urchins because they don't they've gone through their food supply, right? Urchin's kind of a strange thing, don't you think? An urchin? Is it? I forgot. Is an urchin kind of look like a starfish? I'm not. Kind of, it looks like you. Okay. An urchin. So they're, ex they're exceptionally attractive sea creatures. Two other urchins. Uh -huh. oh, that's what I thought. Researchers believe reintroducing sea otters may be one of the only ways to save what's left okay. of, of the kelp forest. However, the reintroduction of otters may also threaten shellfish industries and tribal self-governance. This is where it gets a little bit tricky. Uh-oh. The greatest risk is the amount of uncertainty we have about the impacts that would be on shellfish fisheries, says Michel Zwarjez, a co-author of the assessment and a biologist and field supervisor for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Oregon. Otters will likely compete with people for clams, urchins, abalone, and crab, and the fishing industry could be affected, she says. So they're saying maybe you don't want to put the otters in there to bring back the kelp because of the economy. Right. But I say screw the economy. I say screw let's the get some kelp going yeah, here, right. and let's be more uh, creative in our economy that we're not destroying something that's helping soak up carbon and and making a better environment along our coastlines. Yeah, and let let's be a little more long term. Let's start thinking about the future instead of this next season's haul, right? Yeah. Just start yeah. thinking a little bit more about. You know what they need is more beavers. Well, they're helping out too. Yeah, I know the, the beavers and the otters. Bring on the otters and the beavers, because wherever the beavers go, good things follow. An otter will follow. An otter will follow. That's not true, but well, we just say it. <laughs> we say it. We just it's, say it. it's a political slogan. Yeah. Bring on the beavers. Bring on the beavers. From the Washington Post. Amid an onslaught of invasive insects, a surge in deadly diseases, and the all-encompassing peril of climate change. As many in one, as one in six trees native to the lower 48 states here in the United States are in danger of being wiped out. That's according to a new study. The threatened list includes soaring coastal redwoods. We know about that. Capacious American chestnuts. Capacious? That's what this guy that's writing this copy is. Okay. I don't know where the alliteration is going. Capacious. Black ash and a white bark pine. I knocked off the adjectives in those Thank others. you. It was capacious, elegant, and gnarled. Okay. In case you're wondering what the, in case you missed those. In case you're wondering if he got through English 201. Well, you know, there are more words, too. His, yeah. his editor so, said, yeah. you know, I need 500 words here. Creative yeah, he's going, huh, Jesus. Well, yeah. let's see here. Capacious American chestnuts. That'll give me an extra word. Yeah. Yet only eight tree species are federally recognized as endangered or threatened. Huh. Out of all these, uh, you know, hundreds of trees, and 17 at-risk species aren't conserved in any botanic gardens or scientific collections. So once they go, 
they'll be gone for good. Yeah. 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 Trees. We never talk about that. No. It's easy to feel that gloom and doom because the scope of this crisis is really, really great right now, said Murphy Westwood, vice president for science and conservation at the Morton Arboretum in Illinois and a lead study of lead author of the study. Uh-huh. We're losing species before they even get described. These are tree species. The new study is the first to list, list and assess the health of all 881 tree species native to the contiguous United States, an achievement in and of itself because cons conservation research rarely focuses on plants. Yeah. They're usually focusing on uh, things that move around. Yeah. Otters and beavers. Yeah. Yeah. And people. People, they do that. But by the way, yeah. Yeah, so, and trees are the... Yeah, yeah and, and dogs. And dogs. Trees are the lungs of the earth in many ways. They are. They are. The lungs of the earth. You just wanted to say lungs of the earth. They are you? the capricious lungs of the earth. Exactly. Yeah. Remember way back in you know the 60s and 70s? Remember way back then? I know I was there, but tell me more. The smog? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, so you, man. To, you say, remember yeah. you know, the 60s, 70s, they go, yeah, far out. You go to the smog, boom. Yeah. That just anybody who lived through that period of time the, knows yeah. how bad it was around It takes here. the air right out of the room when you say smog in Southern California in 19, through the... I remember 66, 67 when I was uh -huh. just had moved up to a certain part of the city yeah. where it was really bad. Oh, yeah. It was right up against the foothills and that stuff would come in. You could Pomona see it. area. And, uh, yeah, the Tahunga. Tahunga. You know, yeah, yeah, you could see it Pacoima, coming. Pacoima, I meant, not Pomona. Yeah, you could see it coming. Yeah. You could watch it rise. You literally could watch this thing like it, it looked like a, a fog bank moving in at cer on certain days. Yeah. yeah. I remember, uh, well, I ran cross country and track. Yeah. In that period North, of time, North and it felt like I had asthma. Yeah, half the time after you come in after a workout, you'd yeah. be running outside, inhaling all that. It was like smoking a pack of cigarettes. Well, back in that time, there were real particulates in the air. Yeah, none of this, you know, none of these uh, wimpy particles no, you, they have you could now. Not see. Yeah, Los Angeles City Hall if you were standing in at Alvaro Street, <laughs> right. and I'm not. You're I'm not kidding. Yeah. I remember the hills above Claremont because it would the smog would push up against those yeah. uh, that mountain range. Yeah, San Gabriel it Valley. It was green there. Yeah, yeah. I stood in downtown Claremont and could not see the the mountains that yeah. were just started maybe three or four miles away. And, and it was green. And for for many years that was normal. Yeah, yeah. Thank God for the California Air Resources Board. From the California Sun, California okayed a plan to ban new gas cars by 2035. A new state mandate approved by the California Air Resources Board will essentially end vehicle emissions altogether, they say, by prohibiting sales of internal combustion cars and light trucks. California has led the nation in auto emissions regulations since California Air Resources Board was created in 1966 to combat the toxic yellow-brown smog that hung over Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. The state's larger population meant automakers could not ignore the state's mandates. And the Congress gave California permission to set its own rules under the Federal Air Quality Act that same year. That would be 1966. 
California's emissions and fuel efficiency rules have been adopted by more than a dozen other states since then. Yeah. Good for us and yeah. good for them. Yeah. Even with that prodigious record, Dan Sperling, founding director of the Institute of Transportation Studies at UC Davis, said the zero emissions mandate that was just passed is the most important and transformative action that the California Air Resources Board has ever taken. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And I hear the business is going along with it, too. It's not, you know, this isn't something that the auto industry is going, goddamn California. They know that that's where they're going to sell their electric cars. Yeah. We are giving them a boost in Ex electric car sales, and that's the direction we're headed. Yeah. Th this, in some ways, is exactly what you said. It's so important because California is the, what, the seventh largest economy in the world. It's one of the largest. And the fact that... It's just amazing that that California said no more gasoline cars in after no 20, more sales no more sales of yeah. gasoline cars after in a yeah. not that long from now yeah people will still go out of state they'll drive them in here yeah I don't know if you can get a California registration though I wonder how that's going to work I know there'll gonna, be a phase out period yeah, I, and, I, and you'll I, have old cars yeah. it'll you know historic cars it'll probably be around as long as they're able to drive yeah it's right. I'm I'm when I heard the news, I didn't know it was coming. So when I saw it come up on the on the news, I was good for California. And I just can't imagine this happening. And I hate to say it this way and put it in such political terms, but I'm going to say it anyway. I can't imagine this happening in any red state. No, no, no. I can't imagine it. And well, I, I forget. I just read it this morning. I forget who said it, but it was a uh, uh, somebody who was representing, of course. Uh, the uh, board, but he said that, you know, that you wouldn't see like something, you wouldn't, Texas and Missouri aren't going to be backing this, no. but the rest of the world, the, the civilized world is. Yeah. And I know which side I'd rather be on. Right. Texas will be bragging about this. That they're for, not doing they're, that. that they're not doing this forever. Yeah. For the rest of our lives, they'll be bragging about, you can buy petroleum-based cars and they get three miles to the gallon. Come on down to Texas. Yeah. It's a third world. Some ways, Texas feels like a third world country. A belligerent, arrogant third world country. Except for Austin. Except for Austin. There you go. There's a few places. There's some oases. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org on Facebook at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Slate Magazine. They've been around for a long time, Slate long, has. Yeah, yeah. Remember back in 2010 when we reported on Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy writing for the majority in Citizens United versus the uh, FEC? He was reassure, reassuring us that he had not opened the floodgates of dark money yeah. into the political system. And do you remember how you and I used to talk ad nauseum about how Anthony Anthony Kennedy... Uh -huh. Did I say all right? doesn't sound right. That's who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah I know. Anthony, Anthony Kennedy, Kennedy, Supreme Court Justice was the most powerful individual in, in America because he held so much power as the swing vote yeah. in the Supreme Court and how much damage he could do or how much good he how could do. How much damage he did do. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. He was full of shite. He was. Yeah. 
He was always touted as the voice of reason. Oh, don't worry, things won't go too far. We've got Anthony Kennedy. Yeah. This is what he said back Bullets. then in 2010. Right. The fact that donors, you know, he said, uh, forget the word he used, but that's what he meant, donors yeah. in this case, yeah. that we can't identify. Robber barons. That's the little parentheses, that yeah. we can't identify. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that donors may have influence over an over or access to elected officials does not mean that these officials are corrupt. Well, yeah, but... They have corrupt intent. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. I won't say they always do, but and, yes. And, and dark money we're talking about. Yes, we're, right. we're hiding the identity of that's these right. people by, Why? by passing Citizen United. The appearance of influence or access, furthermore, will not cause the electorate to lose no. faith in our democracy. Why would you think that? The appearance of influence or access slash out appearance yeah. there is influence and in access yeah. when somebody gives you a billion dollars and that's what just happened yeah. just this week it was reported that last year the ultra conservative architect of the takeover of u.s courts and longtime vice president of the federalist society leonard leo gained control of over 1.6 billion dollars in dark money mm -hmm. through something called the marble freedom trust mm-hmm Mm. Where they get a name like that? I think they they're thinking like marble, like flooring. Is it or spelled? or you know like a uh, Roman? Is it M A R B cathedral? -E? Is that how it's spelled? They don't have Roman Roman Catholic cathedrals. That's what they have. Yeah. What? It's it marble. marble, like okay. M A R B L E B L E Marble okay. Freedom Trust. I always think of the little a marble. You know, I had marbles. I'm gonna yeah. shoot a marble. I've lost all my marbles, so that too. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, that's where the money came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was funneled through the Marble Freedom Trust to further uh, Leo's deeply conservative political and illegal agenda. Who gave it to them? An elderly yeah. electronics magnet named, and you know, I got so many pronunciations on this. Okay. By all sorts of people. Distinguished folk. It's spelled B-A-R-R-E-S-I-E-D, S-E-I-D. Uh -huh. And B-A-R-R-E is usually pronounced bar or bear, yeah. depending on which side of the <clears throat> Atlantic you're on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the last name uh, was either pronounced side or seed. Yeah. So this guy could be Barry Side uh -huh. or Bar Seed or any combination of those. I got, hold on, I've, I've got my, I was online, I've got my pronunciation. Oh, no, I don't want to hear it because I did, I did that. I did no. about 10 different ones and everybody... Disagreed with each other. Well, it mine says despicable prick. Oh, really? Yeah, that's how you pronounce it. Structured the anyway, this despicable prick structured the transaction to avoid paying at least four hundred million dollars in taxes. The long term implications for a democracy as we understand it in America are far more dire than anything else. Yeah. Over the last three decades, Leo created Leonard Leo created an interconnected series of institutions and firms designed to fundamentally reshape the American judiciary and, in turn, American society. That's putting it lightly. This new infusion of over $1 billion in, is going to solidify this effort, take over our courts, that's what it's going to do. They have been taking over our courts. And gerrymander. For a long time. In a way that will be hard for anyone to counter, in part thanks to a new election law, thanks to new election laws created by the Leo-shaped judiciary. Yeah. The success of Leo's empire begins with the Federalist Society, an idea factory, and conservative farm team. Yeah. 
which Leo led for a long time and where he continues to exert influence, he remains co-chairman of its board of directors. Yeah. Clarence Thomas is a Leo Leonard acolyte. Yeah. Gorsuch, Alito, Amy Comey Barrett, Kavanaugh. These are all people that were groomed. I love the way that these nuts always talk about liberals grooming. Uh-huh. This is what Leonard Leo or Leo Leonard is. He's a he's a groomer. <laughs> That's what he does. Leonard's a groomer. The by federalist. The, Go by ahead. the way, real quick, back in the day, I remember Elliot Spitzer. Remember Elliot Spitzer, uh-huh. New York AG, who was eventually arrested for prostitution and stuff. Uh-huh. Was on Bill Maher one night, and he was defending this decision, the Citizens United uh, decision, because yeah. he said he thought that money is free speech. He argued vehemently. Well, that, that was the whole point. That was that a, was the whole point. It was a free decision speech, yeah. that money equals free speech. Which is, again, it's unfathomable it's like, to me. You know, it's yeah. like corporations are people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, no. Here's Just, a, no. Yeah, exactly. This is how demented these people are. Yeah. The Federalist Society has been the incubator for conservative ideas championed by the late Ant- Justice Antonin Scalia yeah. and others to create theories like originalism and textualism that leads us to laws that are the most suited to an ancient society, yeah. not a modern world. Nope. Uh, on this tax form, Leo had described the mission of his new Marble Freedom Trust as a project to maintain and expand human freedom consistent with the values and ideals set forth in the direct Declaration of Independence and Constitution of the United States, which is BS. It's it's a, such a ancient reading of that text that they might as well include slavery. Well, uh, Nathan, in fact, they do. Nathan, <laughs> uh, the the original Constitution. That's why I've said before. They're telling you exactly what they believe when they say they're originalists. In yeah. the original Constitution, the writing of the Constitution is rife with racist perspectives and policies and guidelines. Right. It's in Article to 2, Section... Well, yeah. Article 2, Section 4 is basically slaves are property and then they can be tracked down, hunted down, and brought back yeah. to... So that's in the Constitution. That's an originalist Constitution. And the freedoms that Leo is touting have primarily served to make the wealthy more wealthy and efforts at voter suppression more robust. Yes. People can debate whether or not the funds transferred to Leo were strictly legal or not, but that debate entirely misses the point. No one person should have this much say in the makeup of a democracy. No. And that's that. That is that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is all there. Uh-huh. And that upset Smaller, too. Yeah. He was thinking about it there. It took him a while to react. Well, but... you know, he was chewing on a cookie that he had buried out in the backyard. Mmm. Trying to make us think he, that he likes us. From the Arizona Central. A Saudi firm has pumped Arizona groundwater for years without paying. In 1982, as the Central Arizona Project Canal neared completion, Wes Steiner, the renowned director of the Department of Water Resources in Arizona, proposed that the state set aside Butler Valley as a groundwater reserve for future use in connection with the water project. Acting on his advice, the project worked with the Federal Bureau of Land Management to transfer the valley into state ownership to be managed by the State Land Development Department. 
In 2015, the State Land Department began leasing land to a Saudi corporation called Fodamonti at an annual rental of just $25 per acre to grow alfalfa hay for export to Saudi Arabia. So they're growing alfalfa for 25 bucks an acre. However, the 2015 lease allowed Fondamonte to pump unlimited amounts of groundwater at no cost whatsoever. The company refuses to dis disclose how much water it uses each year, and the state land department has never bothered to demand reports. Well, those so, days are changing. But the company has likely been pumping 22,400 acre feet of water each year for the last seven years. Oh my God. The Central Arizona Project sells water to customers through Maricopa County for $242 per acre delivered through the Project Canal that passes just south of Butler Valley. At this rate, Fondamonte should be paying $5.42 million per year for each of the last seven years, and it has paid nothing for any of that water. Wow. From Science News. For decades, scientists have pursued a tantalizing possibility for bolstering food supplies and easing hunger, improving photosynthesis, the biological project process in plants that sustains nearly all life on Earth. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Now, researchers say that by using genetic modifications to increase the efficiency of photosynthesis, uh, they significantly increase yields in food crops, soybean providing, and soybeans providing a glimmer of potential that such methods could someday put more food on tables as climate change and other threats make it harder for us to do that. Yeah. So they're looking into that. I just thought it was an interesting yeah. thing. Yeah. Improving photosynthesis. There are so many uh, scientific experiments and and modalities modalities yeah that's a big word isn't it that are going on right now that are that if modalities. allowed to be able to flourish we could go a long ways towards mitigating what's happening to the climate and to our our planet yeah which are good things and they're encouraging on some level it's just making them scalable and effective and essentially really doing the mitigation of what we're facing that was a lot of words there, wasn't it? Yeah, it's too many. Yeah. You sounded like that author from, uh, you know, talking about trees. Yeah. Screw that guy. Yeah, screw you. Oh, wow. Improving photosynthesis. You know, and in one way, you know, I'm all in favor of it, but think if we kind of cut down on the population. Yeah. I think Paul Ehrlich was right. Yes, he was. Yeah. People say, ah, you know, he, he predicted... That we'd run out of food in the, by the turn of the century. Well, he, what he really predicted that we would have two people, too many people on the planet yes. for the planet to be able to sustain us, yeah. and that's what we're finding out right now. Yeah, and I don't know a whole lot about Paul Ehrlich except I agree with what you said. Right. People did tar him or accuse him of being in favor of eugenics and things like that. They uh -huh. did sort of. I don't know if that was even true, but that was a thing. No, so, they were. It was, that, but it was that a was peace. Yeah, but Ehrlich was right. Well, the population bomb has gone off. Uh, he recognized in the seventies. Yeah, that we were just building far too fast. We were the population was increasing far too fast, and it would have an effect on the planet. Right. He chose food, and the agricultural industry responded not to him, but during those years. Uh, learning how to produce 
far more food. It was big agribusiness. Yeah, the happened. Green Revolution, I believe they call it in food. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, good. I'm glad they're doing this. I'm glad it's moving forward. But nobody ever talks about, except for us here and a few other folks, yeah. just kind of pulling back on what Ian Musk is proposing, having hundreds of kids so we can populate outer space. Yeah. Is that what he just talked? Yeah, that's his, his that's whole his thing. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think religion is a big hindering factor in terms of bringing population under yeah. control. I think, I think there's a lot of barriers to moving that ball forward because of religion. Yeah. Well, not only that, when you need kids, it's pretty easy to make them. <laughs> It's not like we're going to be sitting around 50 years from now saying, gee, I wish I could we could populate yeah. space. How can we do that? Yeah. 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 How are we going to? Yeah. Let's. Yeah. Doesn't right. take that long. Just, yeah. just yeah. First, let's set up uh, the uh, possibility of getting to outer space before we <laughs> overpopulate this planet. Right. Musk is an idiot. Jesus. You heard about that uh, meth head dogs in San Francisco? No, but no. Tell me about these, you know, drug-addled dogs earlier. In the yeah, show. we were talking about we're, it earlier. We're coming right up to yeah, it. Okay, well, there you from go. the Los Angeles or from Los Angeles Times, mm -hmm. according to inside sources, San Francisco dogs are eating the poop lace, the drug-laced poop of meth users and getting addicted. First of all, that's disgusting on many levels, but and it's not true. Okay. Right. That's not true at all. This is stuff that you hear on Fox News. Okay. This poop scandal is about uh, San Francisco as the whipping boy of the right-wing media. Every night. Is what is this? Every night on Hannity, yeah. there's something about San Francisco. For years, Cretans like Hannity and mm. Tucker Carlson. Laura, who, Laura Ingram. They focus on She's San Francisco yeah. like it's you know, Sodom yeah. on Earth yeah, exactly. and poop problems in particular. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. I mean, people don't have public restrooms there or anywhere. We, we have a problem here in California. Yeah, but we do because the weather is beautiful and people can live outdoors. And homeless people would rather live here than in Ethan, Montana. Or Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sorry, Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh. a nice city. Actually, Montana I take that back. Yeah, it's a nice city. Yeah, Montana sucks. Wyoming sucks. Oklahoma sucks. sucks. North and South Dakota sucks. suck. Yeah. yeah, who would so who the that. f would want to live there except to <laughs> gaze at mountains and feel like you're a yeah uh, ape on steroids. Uh, I don't know. That's about it. Anyway, <laughs> the Fox News is uh, focusing on the San Francisco and poop problems as proof the Democrats are conspiring to ruin America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now they're saying San Francisco has meth addicted dogs running wild <laughs> in the streets. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And people are believing it, too. Of course they are. Your dad's probably sitting there at home going, oh, He's, my God. My dad's writing checks over yeah. this. Are you kidding? Turns out that the drug poop scare is an urban myth. Yeah, of course. UC Davis veterinary toxicologist Robert Penga pointed out that the byproducts of methamphetamines are predominantly excreted through urine. That's one thing right off the bat. I didn't know dogs really... ate poop. I guess sometimes they do, sometimes but you know, most of the time it's when it's dry. Yeah, you know, they're not going to eat soft poop usually. <laughs> and I mean, it's it's not like it's horrid. Not that I've eaten it, but you know, there are worse things, unless it's crawling with maggots or something, yeah. and it has, and it does carry some diseases. But it's okay. You know, dogs do what they do. Yeah. But Panga is personally never seen it. What about you, Molly? Do you ever eat that stuff? <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, yeah, yeah, boy. Oh, Papenga has personally never seen a case of meth poop intoxication. 
and theorized that a dog would have to eat an awful lot of feces to come close to to a toxic dose. Now, you'd have to eat a tub full of poop. The American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, which runs one of the, the largest pet poisoning hotlines in the U.S., agreed and said it's highly unlikely that a dose of meth would become concentrated in feces. Yeah. However, reports of drug-impaired dogs are on the upswing everywhere, no matter where you go. Yeah. Colorado, yeah. Montana, uh -huh. all those places we New Mexico, mentioned. Arizona. Yeah. And some drugs do wind up in poop, but it's mostly marijuana. Oh. And the hotline had 6,259 uh, 6, calls about potential canine exposures to cannabis last year. Potential, for one thing. Mm -hmm. Your dog acts a little bit tip, tipsy, and you just bought your first edible, and you think, oh, my God, I left it out on the yeah. table. My dog ate it. Turns out that lots of dogs get uh, weed high from eating marijuana left around by careless owners who then tell the vets the pets ingested it on a walk. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because yeah. they don't want to say, hey, you know, I yeah. I eat edibles all the time. And I left it in. They don't want to seem irresponsible. <laughs> I left my pack of gummy bears yeah. on the living room coffee table and my dog ate it. They'll say, no, he must have had something out on a walk. Yeah, he probably did. Yeah. By the way, I hope you don't think less of me for this quick story I'm going to oh, tell. I always think less of you. Well, yeah, but mm -hmm. this is even one time there were some friends over at the house and uh, some irresponsible friend of mine had a chunk of hashish on the table, which I would never have smoked. I just, I don't even know. I, I we're no longer friends. And our our Irish setter, Casey, came uh -huh. meandering over to the table. Uh-huh. In a second, just scooped it right up, uh -huh. and to, and you know just swallowed it. Uh -huh. And Casey was a mess. Oh, I can imagine. I felt bad. I felt terrible. You should feel bad. I was That's yeah, not nice. horrified. They keep that stuff out of the reach of animals and children well, I wasn't that don't know the the potential. You have my word. I wasn't imbibing any of this. I was horrified at the whole scene, the whole thing. You know. You don't need to say that anymore, man. Oh, oh, this okay. stuff is legal. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you have to be responsible I know. these it things. Was, it was terrible. You're not going to fill funny your dog's water bowl with vodka. Every Everybody else in the room thought it was hilarious. Uh, no, no, that stuff's not no, funny. No, I knew it yeah. wasn't. I was even smart enough that back then to know that. I don't know about that. Well, so okay. I'm thinking about you back then. And yeah, I was, I was, I was a, I was a. You were a jerk. I was a brainiac back then. Are you oh, kidding me? Get out of you. What happened? I don't know. Meanwhile, Probably the, the real problem. Yeah. The real problem is we have thousands of people with no place to defecate. So, you know, let's get some public restrooms yeah. out there. I know, you know, th there are problems yeah. with even with that. Yeah. But that's a good place to start. Yeah. Uh, from the Huffington Post. A California man who smuggled more than 1,700 wild animals into the United States, including 60 reptiles hidden in his clothing, pleaded guilty to federal charges. Jose Manuel Perez of Oxnard entered pleas of two counts of smuggling and a charge of wildlife trafficking. Prosecutors said that from 2016 to this February, Perez and his accomplices used social media to arrange to smuggle animals from Mexico and Hong Kong. Most were reptiles and included Yucatan box turtles, Mexican box turtles, baby crocodiles, and Mexican beaded lizards. <sighs> Perez also made some three dozen trips to Mexico himself to pick up animals, and on February 25th, 
He was arrested while trying to enter the U.S. with 60 reptiles hidden in bags of his clothing. A story you heard first here on Weekly Signals. Yeah. We thought it was uh, Kevin Stockdale doing it for the first week. We, <laughs> we did. The, we we uh, were trying to finger him for that. Yeah. All these reptiles yeah, and probably yeah. sl- spiders stuck under his armpits. Well, we can't be sure that he didn't benefit from some of this. Don't say stuff like that. Kevin's a fine, upstanding young man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The smuggled reptiles were worth about $739,000, authorities estimated. Wow. Perez fled to Tijuana in June while out on bond. On that arrest that we first reported on, but was quickly captured and returned to the U.S. He could face up to 20 years in prison for each smuggling count when he sentenced on December 1st. And finally, from The Guardian, a Missouri pastor posted a mea culpa to social, social media after blasting his congregation as poor, broke, busted, and disgusted for not buying him a luxury watch. Pastor Carlton Funderburk of the non-denominational Church of the Well in Kansas City also called his followers cheap in a August 7th sermon while pointing out that the Movado watch he wanted could still be purchased at Sam's Club. Amen. Y'all know I asked for one last year. It is all the way in August, and I still ain't got one, he said. I'm not worth your McDonald's money. I'm not worth your Red Lobster money. I ain't worth your Prada. I ain't worth your Gucci. Let me kick down the door and talk to my cheap sons and daughters. That's what he said. Wow. According to the church's website, Funderbrook, uh, Kansas City native is a highly sought-after conference speaker and lecturer. His website website also features a donations page seeking funds to financially support this ministry in all needed areas. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.